Welcome, everybody, to a, another Perusia podcast. I'm Shabal Raish, your host, and I'm with a very good friend of mine and, and guest, Steve Ray. He is no stranger, Steve Ray, to pilgrimage. And I'd like to um, talk about this DVD I'm holding in my hand, um, Moses, and what I love about it, Signs, Sacraments, and Salvation. We're doing a series, a basically a monthly series, um, or wherever we can fit it in, leading up to an eventual pilgrimage to the Holy Land when we get there. Um, but uh, last month we did Abraham. Uh, we went from Adam and Eve all the way up to Abraham and, and pretty much did a study on uh, Genesis. And now we're going to be doing a study on Exodus. Um, and we're going to be going through this with none other than the expert of pilgrimages. Let's do it. Are you ready, Steve? I am. Let me just say, I start uh, in the movie, I start out, I'm on a black Arabian stallion in a, that I picked up at the pyramids in Egypt. And the movie opens with you seeing me galloping with the pyramids behind me down through the desert. And I come up to the camera. I just, I start talking to the camera. I jump off this beautiful horse. I mean, I wanted, I was raised with horses and I wanted to bring this guy home with me. This black, he was a black stallion, just unbelievably gorgeous and powerful. I jumped off and I said, why didn't God promise to give the people of Israel, the land of Canaan? Then why are we down here in Egypt? Were there in slavery? Did God forget his promise? And I said, no, he didn't forget. Let's tell the story. And I jump back on that black Arabian stallion and I take off back and you see me swing around the uh, pyramids. And that's how the movie opens. <laughs> I love I love your style when you do these because you, you actually get your hands dirty. You get in and you're actually part of the scene. And, and it does remind us in the Bible, we typically read scriptures um, and we hear these stories growing up and watch movies. And we're in the comfort of our own home. We might have air conditioning on or the fire going, having a hot chocolate or having eating while we're watching and, and just enjoying uh, the luxury of our home while we watch these stories. And we forget that these are real places, real people, and how it was. It could have been cold, windy or hot and dry, depending on what scene you're in. Um, and you get your hands dirty, you go in the mud, you, you actually experience what the characters do. That's what I love about your style. Um, it's un unlike any other Bible study. <laughs> um, and so tell us a bit about the experience. Um, about this, uh, the con maybe a, a, just a very quick uh, recap of the Footprints of God series, and then let's dive into Moses. Okay, the, the whole series started out in the year 2000. It's already been a 20-year project where I woke up in the middle of the night and I shook my wife awake and said, wake up, wake up, we have to do a 10-part video series on the history of salvation from a Catholic perspective. And she's shaking, scared her half to death at two in the morning in the pitch dark. She says, you want to do what? And I says, God, God wants us to make a video series. And she said, you're crazy. We can't even take good pictures. How does God expect us to make movies? And she said, go back to sleep. And she rolled over and went back to sleep. But I got up that night and I typed out the whole outline for it. I had no idea. I've never done video before. and I had, But I had it in my head. It was like it had been embedded in my brain. And long story short, I presented the idea to Ignatius Press. They've said they'd fund it. And $2 million later in 20 years, we've got nine out of the 10 done. And we've got done Abraham, which we discussed last month, Moses, which we're discussing now. Then we'll do David and Solomon. That's already completed. I, Elijah and Elisha. Those are the four of the Old Testament. They take you through from the beginning to the end of the Old Testament. Then we start in the New Testament with Mary. And then yep. we do Jesus. And then Peter and the whole issue of the uh, papacy, the primacy of Peter. And then we do Paul, all of his adventures. And then we do two in the early church. One is the Apostolic Fathers, which we've already done. And the last one is Doctors of the Church, which we hope to film in 2022. This whole virus thing slowed us down a little bit, but uh, we'll be back on track with that. 
And so the whole series, I wanted it not to be a talking head, boring documentary like too many are. And I told my crew, I want you to watch Crocodile Hunter down from Australia. You know this guy. Yossi. And uh, him and also Indiana Jones. And I said, that's what I want our documentaries to feel like. So I'm kind of like wrestling snakes, falling off horses, falling in the mud, climbing trees, all these fun things. And that's what we do in these movies. In this movie, by the way, I had to fly all over Egypt in helicopters. And you would not believe the experiences we had. I got thrown in jail once in Egypt because I burned a bush because I wanted to have a real burning bush. And when I burned it way out in the wilderness, there's nobody even nearby. It was way out at the base of Mount Sinai and the far part of the wilderness. I burned a bush and the police came through the desert, arrested me and took me to jail. Took me half a day to get out of jail. But we got this great footage of a bush burning and I'm explaining to it with the smoke and everything swirling around me. Um, We had snakes, the real vipers that bit people. I found a a reptile uh, place that had them, and we actually put those real fiery serpents. We were in with them with the cameras, uh, and we just, we had a blast. I was up to the Nile River this deep, and I had to take medicine for two weeks after because the Nile River is very dirty, and it has parasites that can go right into your skin, and then the worms live in your veins. And so they, they made me, I said, I have to go in though. I can't just stand there. You know, Moses was in there. I have to go in. So they said, okay, but you have to take these pills afterwards. So, you know, we live dangerously, but somebody has got to do it. And bottom line, I'll finish with this. I do, like you mentioned, these are real places. And I want Catholics to know that when they read their Bibles and when they hear the teaching of the church, this is not started. It didn't begin with once upon a time in a land far away, this fairy tale called the Bible. No, this is real history. I've been to 90% of the places the Bible mentions already in my life. Maybe 90 to 95% of the places the Bible mentions I've been there, even to Iraq. And I have experienced the real historical places and the people and the Bible is true. It can be trusted. And that's one of the things I want is people to with these videos to know that what we believe is really true and you can give your life to it. And the other one is that Catholicism is fun. And if it's not fun, then you're doing something wrong because it is exciting and it's fun. And I want young people, especially to know that. Amen to that. Amen to that. So true. You really do um, bring the Bible alive, and and, and so it should be. Uh, it is real, and it impacts us today. And I'd love to. There's so much. I mean, you've got the subheading signs, sacraments, and salvation. Um, but you, tell us about it. I mean, you've got the burning bush experience, but the idea of Moses. Should we pick it up from? Uh, I mean, he talks to a burning bush. Um, this is quite interesting. Uh, yeah, should needs, we start with that might- joke? Put him into a psychiatric ward. You know, the guy's talking to bushes out in the wilderness. Well, there's a fun joke. I, I don't want to waste time with this, but George Bush, when he was president, went to the airport and this old man walked by with a beard and a staff and a robe. And George Bush said to the security, that looks just like Moses. And the guy says, well, I, I doubt it. I don't know. And George Bush went over and said, are you Moses? And the guy looks at him and he turned around and ran away. And so George Bush went over and said, listen, buddy. He said, I'm George Bush. You know, the Bush president, United States. <laughs> He said, are you Moses? The guy ran away. So uh, George Bush says to a security agent, you go over there and find out if he's Moses. So I'm telling the joke a little faster than normal. Yes. The security agent goes over to this old man and he says, listen, buddy, you got to help me out here. I'm the security guy for George Bush. Are you, are you Moses? 
He looks at me and says, yeah, I'm Moses. He said, well, why wouldn't you tell him? He says, because the last time I talked to a bush, I was sent out into the desert for 40 years and I was put into the only country with no oil in the Middle East. <laughs> That's why he didn't talk to the bush. Anyway, Moses did talk to a bush. Let's let's put Moses, uh, his life into three sections. We're here in Egypt now because we ended the story last time with the children of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob being in the land of Canaan, which was to soon become the land of Israel. And they had no land. There was a famine. Jacob had to leave to Egypt with his 12 sons. They're there now for 400 years in slavery. It seems like God has abandoned his people. You know, 400 years being in slavery there, that's pretty um, momentous because United States isn't even 250 years old yet. And just imagine if you're 400 years and you still have this promise that God's going to give you the land. Oh, yeah. When? When are you going to give us the land? Well, when you're enough people to go in and conquer it, you're not enough people yet. It took 400 years to build up the people to a, to a mighty army that could go back. But now God starts the plan by choosing a man named Moses. And the way he does it is that the daughter of the Pharaoh goes down to the water and finds him the water. She adopts him as his son. So he's royalty. Moses is not just um, some guy out in the desert with flocks and sheep. For the first 40 years of his life, he was royalty, living in the royal household of Pharaoh, the son, adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter. So Pharaoh is his legal grandfather, I guess you could say. So for 40 years, he's there. But then God is preparing him by being in that position to do what he wants him to do. So then he kills a, 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 um, a Egyptian uh, army guy because he was molesting. He knew that these were his people, the, the Israelites. And he killed a guy because he had was abusing the slaves. Well, he had to run out into the deserts of Sinai, which today is still part of Egypt. Back then it wasn't. It was a whole, a, really a wilderness area. I've been there a lot of times up on Mount Sinai. I've been there many times to the top of that. And it is rugged territory out there. It is rough, rough country. Wow. Well, he's now 40 years. He spends out there taking care of the flock of sheep. He's working for his father-in-law, Jethro. And one of those days after 40 years, now he's 80 years old. So the whole story of Moses and the Exodus doesn't really begin until he's 80 years old. So all of you old guys out there, remember, God sometimes doesn't start using us until we get kind of older. Then, But don't think that just because you're older, God can't use you because there's too many stories in the Bible that will prove you're wrong. So now after 80 years, he sees a bush burning. And that bush, by the way, is still there. And it's in oh. the monastery of St. Catherine at the foot of Mount Sinai. And it's the only bush like that. They don't have, there's no other bush like that anywhere that they found. And it's very flammable. If you light a match, the leaves will go up. There's an oil. In. But anyway, that bush is still there. And you go in the monastery. It's been there since 350, roughly AD. And they say that's the bush of Moses. Now, the bush is burning because God was in the bush. And he wanted to talk to Moses. So this was kind of the way God chose. Now, by the way, in typology, the catechism says that Mary is the burning bush of the new covenant. Why? Wow. Because that burning bush had God within the bush and the bush was not consumed. And the word of God came out of the bush. And Mary being the new covenant bush, God is within her and her womb, and the word of God comes out of her, and she's not consumed. Mary is the burning bush of the New Testament. Now, 
Abraham, Moses, he sees this bush burning and he goes up and the bush talks to him. And this is where we first hear about holy ground. And God says, take off your sandals, Moses, because you're standing on holy ground. Now, the funny thing is, Charbel, is that that dirt he was standing on, he passed by there every day for 40 years. He was in that land. There was nothing special about that dirt and those rocks. But all of a sudden now today, that's holy ground. Those rocks look the same, but you got to take your sandals off because God has touched those rocks and sanctified them. That's why we call Israel and that land of the Bible, the Holy Land, because God visited it. It was his land. He walked on that land. And therefore, when I'm there, I sense that sacredness to it. And I tell people, you are now, you can go to Rome, you can go other places, that's sacred places. But the only place you're going to go that's holy ground is where God walked where he wow. sanctified it with his own feet. So when Moses talked to that bush, the bush told him, I want you, or God within the bush, says, go tell Pharaoh to liberate my people. Now, the Hebrew Bible says that at that point that it had 600,000 fighting men. That's a lot of people. Some people like to say it's an exaggeration, but that's the Hebrew Old Testament that's been passed down for generations, said there was 600,000 fighting men among the people of Israel now that were in Egypt. And Pharaoh was afraid of them. And he kept them in bondage and slavery because he was afraid of them. They were a multitude of people and it was obvious God was blessing them. So send the, God says to him, you go back to Pharaoh, cross over the Red Sea, you go back to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. And Moses said, are you kidding me? Who am I to go say, I, 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 and he even says, I, I, I stutter. I'm not even a good speaker. And you want me to go back? He said, who am I supposed to say? This burning bush told me this. And That's God funny. says, my name is I am that I am. God had never revealed his name up. To, even with Abraham, who was the friend of God, Khalil in Arabic means the friend. He was the friend of God. Nobody else is called the friend of God. He did never reveal his name to Abraham that we know. But he now, for the first time, reveals his name to Moses. I am that I am. Tell Pharaoh that I am sent you. And he goes back, tells Pharaoh this. Pharaoh says, there's no way I'm going to let those people go. They're my servants. They're building the cities of Pithom and Ramses up in the, up in the Goshen. And I've been to those cities. In the movie you watch, you still see uh, there's statues of Ramses II, the Pharaoh who said this. I mean, uh, walking among them, you see all that in the movie. Because we went up and discovered these ancient sites of Pithom and Ramses up in the Goshen, up near Alexandria. And, and so, you can still see them. That's amazing. You yeah, you can still see, and you could you could still see the bricks that were made. There's still wow. those kind of bricks made. You could still see walls of those bricks in these it's places. Thousands of years old. <laughs> thousands, very likely made by Moses, and you know, but they made bricks like that later too. But mm. it, these are the cities where they work. The the Israelites work. So after they go, there's all of these plagues. And um, I'm not giving you much time to ask questions. I know, but, That's fine. but a short time. The, the plagues are very interesting because when Moses goes back to tell Pharaoh to let his people go, Pharaoh says no. And then God sends plagues down. And every one of those plagues destroys one of Egypt's gods. You could call this the dueling deities. And I do call it that in my movie, the dueling deities. Egypt had multi, had many gods. They were polytheistic. That means they have many gods. The Nile River was a god. Frogs were a god. Cattle 
cows were God. In fact, in the movie, at one point, I take this little cow and I said, he sure is a cute little cow. He's only three days old, but he sure ain't no God. And then the cow pooped all over me. I mean, it was obvious he wasn't a God. Well, that's powerful there too. Uh, The Egyptian, the the reason why God has chosen um, to send plagues on those Egyptian gods to show who is the almighty God. Right. Yeah. It's a, who is the one true God? So powerful. And interesting, too, because back then gods were considered to be localized. So you have the God mm. of Israel. So people thought, well, God was only the God of Israel. He was confined into the locality. Okay. There were gods of Egypt that were the gods that were there. Moloch and Chemosh were Ammon and Moab. Those were the gods that were the local gods for Moab and Ammon. And those. So, so God was saying, look, at, I'm not just the God of Israel. Because I found Abram in Iraq of today. I found him over there in Ur, in in Babylon. I was all the way over there. I brought him to Israel. Yes, I'm the God of Israel, but I'm the God of everywhere. Look out, buddy, because you're going to find me wherever you go. And any God in Egypt or somewhere else that thinks that they're the God there, they're going to find the sad story real quick that I'm the God of the universe. So he goes in with Moses and he destroys one by one the Egyptian gods. In the movie, I even have a real statue, 3,500 years old of a frog that came from Egypt. And I have it in my shelf. I forgot to bring it. But I have a lot of these antiquities here. I've got a whole museum here of all these things that I picked up in these Bible lands. And so the frogs were one there. But even the, the cows were considered deities. And what did Egypt want? What did uh, Israel want to do when they got out? They made a golden calf. Why? Because they wanted to go back to Egypt, even to go back to Egypt's gods. So that God destroys all of those, showing that he is the God over all the gods of Egypt. And he has the power even of life and death. And then there's the Passover, and then they go out into the wilderness. Now, there's, there's also the joke that you know, guys never like to ask directions when they're driving. They're too proud, especially if their girlfriend or their wife's in the car. And and uh, when when Mrs. Moses said you, you should stop and ask directions, Moses didn't want to. And he ended up wandering for 40 years. And if he just listened to his wife, he could have got there a lot sooner. Well, that's just one of the jokes we tell when we're guides. But the reality is, is that God was angry at the people because they were grumbling against him. Why did you bring us out into the wilderness to starve us to death? You know, at least we had meat to eat in Egypt. And so, but he brought them out here into the wilderness and then he gave them manna. And they wandered for 40 years until that whole generation died out. They died out. And then there was only four guys that kind of made it through. Moses and Aaron didn't make it. Only two of the original ones actually crossed into the promised land, Caleb and Joshua. The name Caleb means old dog. He, he, you, I love this guy. He's just, he's 110 years old when he gets there and he's still ready to go fight the giants. And then there's K, uh, Joshua and his name is the same name as Jesus. Jesus and Joshua are the same names in Hebrew and Greek. So, I'm sure many people probably didn't know that, but yeah, Joshua is is the same name as Jesus. Joshua yeah. means yeah, savior. Means savior. So that's kind of an overview of the whole thing. They meet at Sinai. They come out of the land. They go through for 50 days from the time they killed the Passover lamb, and they put it on the lentil and doorposts of the house. They 50 days later they arrive at Mount Sinai. So that was the first Pentecost, 50th day. That's what the word. 
Pentecost means 50th day. So when we celebrate Pentecost in the church, it goes all the way back 3,500 years ago. The first Pentecost was when they killed the Passover lamb. 50 days later, they're at Mount Sinai and they meet God. And that is what the Jews today say, that Pentecost is the giving of the law. It's when they finally arrive, Penta 50, 50th day. They arrive and God gives them the law. He forms them into a nation. And that was the first Pentecost was at the mountain. And he comes down. Oh, here's another joke. As long as we're telling jokes, who's the first man that broke all 10 commandments? Moses. Moses. He took all through. He (laughs) threw them all down and broke them. So we need some good Catholic jokes. So I don't mind peppering it in. Which tablets are we talking about? What, what type of, what type of uh, tablets were they? Granite. They weren't, they weren't the Apple iPads, were they? Uh, not those kind. <laughs> no, not, not the Apple. No. This, these tablets were made out of granite. And there were two sets of them, actually, because Moses went up to meet God. And God wrote them with his own finger. Can you imagine watching the finger of God engraving? I mean, I, I like the way Charlton Heston did it in the movie on Moses' show. And there's the word. And then here comes number two. And, you know, but there are different lists because the Protestants and Catholic have different lists and the Orthodox and the Jews have a different list of 10 commandments because the, the, there are, when you hear the law that God gave, there are actually 14 imperatives, not 10, but 14. And God left it up to Moses to decide how to divide those 14 commands into 10. Mm-hmm. And okay. so different groups have divided them up different ways. It's not that Protestants or Catholics are right or wrong. It's just that even the Jews, have, the first law for them is um, hear the word of the Lord. They, they have a different list than the Catholics do. Wow. Catholics and Lutherans have the same list. Orthodox and Protestants have the same list. Jews have a different list. So because there are 14 laws and you have to combine them up, come up with a list of 10 because we know that they were 10. Well, anyway, God carves that, and Moses comes down with those tablets. He sees them. They built this stupid golden calf, and they're saying, this is the God that brought us out of Egypt. Where'd that Moses go? He went up and disappeared. So we're going to make our own gods and go back to you know, serving the gods of Egypt. There's a saying, Charbel, that God could get Israel out of Egypt, but he could never get e- Egypt out of Israel. Well, that's significant. Um, could, could you explain that again? I mean, what does that Tell us why. That, that's powerful. Um, please God, please, please uh, break that open a bit. All right. It's a, it works the same with us too, though, and I'll show, yeah. I'll show you how. In, they were in Egypt, and they adopted in many ways the culture of Egypt. They became, in some ways, Egyptians. by They were worshiping the same gods. They yeah. incorporated this paganism. So, on. so God brought those people out. He brought Israel out of Egypt. But he could never get Egypt out of them. They stepped, they kept thinking like those pagans did. They kept living like the Egyptians. And how does that apply to us? God can take us out of the world, but are we going to let him take sin in the world out of us? Wow. Or are we going to hang on to that? See, are we going to are we going to continue to be? Jesus said we're to be in the world, but not of the world. We're to be in Egypt and not of it. And we come out, we got to get rid of Egypt. We got to Leave Egypt and its pagan gods behind. And we have to now follow Yahweh in Israel. But we as Christians, we come out of the world. Are we going to leave the world behind or is God going to have to have the problem all the time? Look at I brought you out of the world, but I can't get the world out of you. Yes. So now he, 
Moses is angry because he sees all these people down there um, worshiping the golden calf. And so he and, and Aaron, his brother, who becomes the high priest, he said, well, the people told me to do it. Everybody always wants to pass the buck. Remember? That's right. Adam says, well, Eve, the woman you gave me, she's the one that did it. And then she said, but it was the serpent who did it. Everybody's pointing fingers at everybody else. And so it's the same here. Aaron says, well, the people wanted me to do this, you know. But anyway, then so he's angry and he smashes the law. And then God calls him back up. But this time, God's a little bit angry. So Moses has to cut tablets out. And you want to know how manly Moses is. He had to carry those granite tablets up back up there to see God. And I'll tell you, I've been at Mount Sinai a lot of times. I don't know how many times, over 10 times probably been yeah. at Mount Sinai. And it takes all night to get up there. We, we start with camels. We kind of cheat. I took a group up there. We had I rented 50 camels. And everybody had oh, their own wow. camel. That'll and so amazing. for the first two hours, you you go in the night, you leave when the sun goes down. And you go on these camels up this, and there's a lot of that in the movie. If you want to see it, I, I you know, I'm filming it all while we're riding these yeah, camels. There it is again. Yep, it's in there. And so it takes two hours riding camels to get up to the camel station. It's kind of this ledge way up on the top, and then you get to get off the camels, and you have to climb the other third of the way to the top. My wife counted over three thousand steps, and they're like climbing up. There's not like little steps that you, you know, in civilized world. These are rocks that you're climbing up, and it's hard. And wow. so you get to the top. That's tough to get up there. That takes a long time. And then what we would do is we and I have pictures because I took my kids there, sitting up there, um, drinking tea and waiting because they have a little tea thing. It, it's not civilized. I mean, <laughs> most people wouldn't want to drink out of these teacups, but we did. And uh, watch the sunrise up over the Sinai wilderness from the top of the mountain. And I read Exodus 18 and 19 about God coming to visit the people. I'm out. That's what we read out loud. And when I take groups up there, I read that passage out loud while we watch the sunrise. It's really powerful. Wow. But then God comes back down and then he tells Moses to build the tabernacle and put the Ark of the Covenant in it. And it was all this big project to build these curtains. And it was like a moving, transportable temple. Whenever God said to move, they had to pack it all up. All of the curtains, all of the showbread, the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant, and all the Kohathite priests, they were all from the tribe of Aaron, the high priest. They would pack it all up and they'd carry things. And then God say, stop. And then they'd stop and they'd set it all back up again. And all these people would set up their camps. For 40 years, they did this all through the wilderness of Sinai, and in that time, God taught them a lot of things, but that generation died out because they were grumbling and complaining. There is something a bad, God does not like grumblers. And even Paul says in Corinthians, these things about Moses were written for your instruction that you will not grumble like they did. If they would have just said in the wilderness, give us this day our daily bread, he would have loved to just give it to him. But no, that's not what they did. They never just asked. They said, you brought us out here to kill us. You're trying to starve us. We go back to Egypt. Why did you even bring us out here? Look at it. And I know it is rugged. The first time I went out there, I said to my wife, you know, those stupid Jews, the Israelites, why were they always grumbling against God? Then I got out in the wilderness and we were in a bus and there was a sandstorm. You couldn't even see 10 feet in front of us. There were drifts of sand across the road. It gummed up the engine. The engine stalled and we were stuck out in the middle of the Sinai desert the first time I went out there. And I looked at my wife and I said, you know what? If I was out here with those Israelites and Moses, I would have been the first one in front of the line complaining. 
I'm not going to call them stupid anymore. I would have complained too, but wow. they were, they had to trust God. And then he brought manna from the wilderness and he fed them. And by the way, if people don't know what the word manna means, they came out of their tents in the morning and there was this food. It's called in Psalm 106. It said it's the, the food of angels. The bread of angels was given to them. And they came out and they looked at it and they said, manna. Because in Hebrew, the word manna means, what is it? What is that's it? how you say, what is it in Hebrew? Manna. So that's how it got its name. Manna really just means, what is it? And they were given about one liter a day. And I use a liter uh, Coke bottle to show how much they collected per person a day, one liter. And on Fridays, they would collect two liters so they'd have enough for the Sabbath. Now, this, we're touched now, why I my movie is called Signs, Sacraments, and Salvation. Mm. You see here now that this manna is a picture of something else which is going to come. It's telling us that there's something else going to come that is also going to be miraculous. And it has to be better and more miraculous and powerful than the manna, or it's not going to be more better covenant. In other words, when we were Baptists, we just had crackers and grape juice and we yeah. denied anything happened. There was no miracle. There was no sacrifice. We just had crackers and Welch's grape juice. So we drink out of these little cups and we'd eat the crackers and we'd say, that's the Lord's supper. Well, that's not miraculous. Like what happened in the wilderness, what the new covenant has to be more powerful, more miraculous, more stunning than what was in the old Testament. If bread coming down from heaven called the manna was collected and eaten by these people, People. That is pretty uh, spectacular. Absolutely. The new covenant has to be even better. And that's why we Catholics, we do have something that's better and more powerful and more miraculous. We have the sacrifice of Jesus Christ himself that comes down on the altar. So Jesus said in John chapter six, that the Israelites, they had the manna, which came down from heaven, that if they ate of it, they still died in the wilderness. Yes. But I am the bread of life, which comes down from heaven. See, he's, he's comparing himself to the manna. He's yes. saying that the manna is a picture or a type or a prefiguration of him coming down. So just like the manna came down, now he's coming down and his body becomes the bread that we eat. And all of a sudden you see the picture of the of the manna is now become reality on the altars of the Catholic churches. This is the beauty of the Eucharist. It's a picture of that. Now we also see Moses hits the rock. We're dying of thirst. We want water. Our tongues are parched. So Moses, God says, take your staff. And I have my staff right around the corner that I carried with me. I should have brought that in here too. I have a big staff that I carried around with me. I even had to chase some dogs and even a lady one time with that stick oh, wow. when I was in the movie because she would not get out of the scene. I said, lady, would you please move? No, no, I'm not going to move. I want to be in your movie. I said, lady, come back. And she ran away and so did the dogs at a couple times. But this big staff, Moses, he said, hit the rock. Moses hit the rock and water came gushing out enough to give those people water. And then Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, that that rock followed them through the wilderness and the rock was Christ. Now there's nothing wow. in the book of Exodus about that rock moving around. Like all of a sudden, you know, you go to bed at night and the next day you woke up, oh, the rock's over here, you know, and then it kind of moved. But this was, this is also a picture of the sacraments because what is Jesus? Jesus is the rock, Paul tells us. The rock is a picture of Christ and the staff hits the rock. That's like Christ being hit at Calvary. Christ being struck with the rock at Calvary. And when he struck at the rock, what happens? Blood and water comes out. 
and it's, it nourishes and feeds us. It's baptism. It's all of the spiritual drink that we need. So Jesus is the rock and that picture is, is wonderful, but how much more is the fulfillment of Christ today that was struck at Calvary with the, with the stick he struck in a sense, and from him then gushes out all of these wonderful graces of the Holy Spirit for us. And then why does Moses get punished at the end? Because God said again, speak to the rock. He didn't say strike the rock. At the end, they were wanting water. And the rock was there and it wasn't giving water. He said, go speak to the rock and the water will come out. But Moses was angry and he went with his staff and he starts beating on the rock with a, with a stick. And, and the water right. came out. But I think why, you know, I think the, the meaning of why Moses was punished for that, first of all, I think he got angry and God punished mm -hmm. him for his anger, his temper about that thing. But I think also that he misrepresented the death of Christ because when Jesus was the first time he said, strike the rock, and it was like the crucifixion. Jesus was struck with the rock and the, and the water and blood came gushing out. Yes. But from that point on, the priest, when he has the representation of the sacrifice of Christ, he doesn't crucify Christ again, right? He only speaks and it happens on the altar. The priest doesn't take the stick and do the crucifixion again and strike Christ. The, that had already happened. Now God just said, speak to the rock. And Moses didn't. He went up and like crucified him again, hit him and beat him. All he needed to do, like the priest at the altar, is to speak and the water comes. That's what happens for us at the Eucharist. The priest speaks the word, whoosh, all the graces of the sacraments come out to us. That's a power. So I mean, you just clarified there uh, a very uh, a big misconception that many Protestants have about the Catholic Mass, thinking that we are always trying to um, crucify Jesus over and over again. But it's only happened once. It, and it's just we're just tapping into that eternal grace that's that's available for us, aren't we? Just it's like the sun. If you, I have a talk called "Defending the Eucharist." I think you sell it down there, yes. and I refer to it as like the sun. The sun rises every day, and the ancient people used to think the sun died. And then the next morning, there's a new sun born. Oh, good, there's a new sun. And then it died. Oh, poor sun, it died again, you know. Oh, new sun is born. But then we discovered when we get in the space shuttle and we go out into outer space that the sun is eternal, so to speak, and it's always there. That's not a new sun that comes up every morning. It's the one eternal sun that keeps coming and representing itself. Jesus died once and for all, but in God's mind, it's an eternal event. Yes. And Revelation chapter 5, verse 5, it says when God wakes up in the morning and wipes his eyes has his first cup of coffee, what does he see? He sees the lamb standing as though slain with his throat slit, standing in front of God. That's what God sees. That's why we have the crucifix in the Catholic Church, because we're looking at the same thing God sees every day. He sees his son sacrificed yet alive. And we see also the same thing. And so it's not that he's crucified again. No, it's an eternal event in God's eyes, always in his eyes in eternity. And every day, bloop, it comes back down into the bubble of space and time and feeds us and nourishes us and gives us life because it's an eternal event, but we need it every day. It's not a new sacrifice every morning. It's the representation of that one eternal sacrifice. So Protestants, please don't accuse Catholics of being stupid. We know what we believe. Why don't you go out and find out what we really believe before you start accusing us of nonsense, which is not true at all? A lot of misconceptions, yeah. And there is, there is. And I used to believe those misconceptions before I became yeah. a Catholic.
I used to attack guys like you with those same arguments. Now look where I am, Catholic defending it. Well, so we also we see other um, we see other of the sacraments also because the people had to kill a lamb when there was a sin offering. They would have to kill the lamb and bring it to the priest, and they would kill it, actually, and confess their sins. So here we see confessing sins to a priest, mm -hmm. even, and there's a blood sacrifice. Now, we don't have to kill a lamb anymore because Jesus is the one eternal lamb. How much more does his blood count than all the lambs and bulls in all of history? Now, Jesus Christ himself being God, how much, how much value is there one drop of God's blood? And so he is now the high priest, having become a sacrifice. He's the high priest. So we still go to the priest to confess our sins, and it's the blood of the lamb which cleanses us from our sins. So we see these sacraments that are prefigured already in the Old Testament. And water baptism, too, because when they cross the Red Sea, you don't get baptized over and over again. You did get the manna, which is the Eucharist. Every day they would have the Eucharist, the manna, but they only got baptized once, right? We don't get baptized over and over. And when did they get baptized? That was when they came out of Egypt. It's They had to kill the Passover lamb, and then they had to leave and go out. And it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 4, that the children of Israel, when they went through the water, the sea, and the cloud— well, this is interesting because Jesus, how does Jesus say we get born again? By water and spirit. What did Jesus do? Went down into the Jordan River, into the water, and the spirit came down. Water baptism. The spirit is tied to water baptism. And if you want to be born again, it's not by accepting Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. You'll never find those words in the Bible. You're born again, specifically by water baptism, like Jesus had just done. Now, Moses, he, Paul reaffirms this in 1 Corinthians 10, when he says that the children of Israel went through the sea with the cloud above them. That's water and spirit. The Holy Spirit was in the cloud above them. So you've got water and spirit. They went through the sea. And it says, and corresponding to that, Christ now Baptized, you're now saved by baptism into Christ. As the children of Israel were baptized into Moses, so now you are baptized into Christ. So I love that. It. That symbolism, so um, leaving slavery into freedom, that concept of leaving it, um, Egypt, sin and the world, and, and going into the promised land, which is supposed to symbolize heaven now. And so this passing through water to get to the other side, you, you experience true freedom. And how true it is today. Um, yep. lo loving this. <laughs> and in Egypt... There are three enemies of the Christian. There is the world, there is the devil, and there is sin. Those are our three big enemies. They're trying to keep us from the promised land. The world is represented by Egypt. The yeah. devil is represented by Pharaoh. And sin is represented by slavery in Egypt. So they are, by the death of the Passover lamb and his bloodshed, and where was the blood put? on the vertical and horizontal beams of the wood of the door. We have a new Passover lamb as Jesus, and his blood is also on vertical and horizontal beams of wood, the cross. <laughs> and because of that death of the lamb, they were able to take their walking sticks, and they were able to go through the Red Sea, and they had water baptism. They were born again by spirit and wa water and spirit. They came out, and now they're hungry. So in the journey they're given, now miraculous food, they're given the manna, and we're given the Eucharist, which is our food for the journey. 
It's what feeds and nourishes us. In the in Tolkien's trilogy of the rings, you have uh, the Frodo. He wants that ring really bad. You know, that evil creature, Frodo. He wants that ring really bad. But uh, Samwise and um, what's his, Frodo's the good guy. Gollum is the bad guy. Yes. And Frodo and Samwise are traveling and they don't have any food and they're trying to get to, to destroy the evil ring. And Samwise has a piece of hard bread in his pocket. And every day they take it out and they eat one small bite of it. And Tolkien, being a Catholic, named that bread Lamza, Lamza bread. Lamza. Lamb is bread. It's a picture of the Eucharist. The lamb is the bread. And that was the food for the journey in the trilogy of the rings on the way to Mordor. So we have these all these prefigurations in the Old Testament, confession, um, baptism, the Eucharist. Now there's a couple that we don't really see, um, the last rites or unction, because um, I'm not going to go into all the why we don't see them there. Aquinas has a real good reason why, and uh, confirmation you, we, and marriage. You talk about holy orders in here um, as well. Absolutely. Uh, can you explain yeah. that as well? That's another one of the the, the part the um, laying of hands. So that's where we get the laying on of hands. Okay. Yeah, it's, it says interestingly enough, Moses now was chosen by God. We have three sections of his life, forty years in the royal household of Egypt, 40 years in the desert with sheep, and then 40 years leading the people. And he's now coming to the end of his life at 120 years old. And we'll talk about his death. Make sure we yep. save time to talk about his death. And he is 120 years old. And he says to God, what happens when I die? These are stubborn, stiff-necked people. They need a strong shepherd and a leader. What, what's going to happen to them without me to lead them? And God says, I'm going to appoint Joshua. See, this is really cool because it's like Moses is the new, the, uh, is the Moses and he brings him around. And then Joshua, who is Jesus, brings him into the promised land. Wow. I want to make sure we have time to talk about the transfiguration and the end of Moses' life. Absolutely. It's but, the, uh, the feast is coming up tomorrow for us. Uh, yep, transfiguration. Yeah, transfiguration. Be good. So we'll end with that. How much time do we have? We still have about 10 minutes, I think. That's right. So we see the ordination, the whole uh, holy orders, because Moses says to God, what are we going to do? And God says, take Joshua and bring him into the presence of the priests. And he said, I want you to lay your hands on Joshua and the dignity or authority which is in you will go into him. And then the priests blessed it. Now, here we see the first time, really, that we see the laying on of hands as an investiture or a transferal of authority and power. It's the mm -hmm. ordination of Joshua. So here you, it's very interesting because what would happen if Moses said, hey, God, I'll say the words you told me to, but I don't want to put my hand on his head. That's <laughs> what would happen? Would the power have been transferred to, to Joshua or not? Well, we don't know, didn't. but I don't think so, because there was to speak the word and to lay your head on his hands. And that was how it says the authority of Moses went into Joshua and then he led the people. So we see the apostolic succession idea, the whole apostolic, um, the laying on of hands, the sacrament of ordination taking place. So you then there's another time where there were 70 of them. 70 elders, and Moses was too busy to see. It says that he took his seat 
By the way, in the Old Testament, there was a thing called the chair of Moses, where Moses would sit and have authority to teach. So the Jews later, even in the time of Jesus, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 23, verse 2, he says, the scribes and the Pharisees, they sit in the chair of Moses, therefore do whatever they tell you. Don't do what they do because they're hypocrites. But when they sit in the chair of Moses, you do what they tell you to do. Now, who sits in the chair today? Peter does. So you have the chair of Peter is not 2,000 years old. It's 3,500 years old because Moses took his chair. Look at Exodus chapter 18. Moses took his seat and judged the people. And they came to, and then when then Jesus took the seat away from Moses and he gave it to Peter. So we've now that chair of Peter is 3,500 years old because they inherited Moses's chair. But these 70 elders were there and God says, Moses, you do not have the time just like one priest does not have the time today to deal with that many people. So you lay your hands on all of these men and they will also then prophesy and serve with you. So you have this whole idea of the laying on of hands. And that came all the way into the New Testament. Well, by the way, Charbel, if we're thinking of ourselves as the new Israel, don't you think our structure of authority, our structure, of their structure of doing things would be also like ours? If we're the new Israel, you would right. think that we're going to have look very similar to the old Israel, and we certainly do. This is why in the Old Testament, you had a three-legged stool of authority. You had the word of God inscribed in stone, written word. You had the oral tradition of that God gave Moses, which was never written down. It was called the oral Torah. And then you have the chair of Moses. You have three things, like a three-legged stool needs three legs to stand. You knock one leg out, <laughs> the stool falls over. Yeah. If we're the new Israel, don't you think we would have a similar type of authority? We do. We have the written word of God. We have the tradition and we have the chair of Peter and the magisterium. Just like Israel, we have a three-legged stool. The Protestants kicked out the chair of Moses. They kicked out the tradition. They were left with one leg on a stool called Bible alone, and it falls because a stool cannot stand up on one leg, never was intended to. So you see these things in Moses's time are all prefiguration of what's going to be taking place in the church. So when you're now we're in the church on this side, we look back at the Old Testament. We look through the lens of Christ. So say Christ is in the middle. He's the lens. Before, if you looked at those things, you wouldn't have understood what manna meant or the Red Sea meant or the rock with the water coming out meant. You wouldn't have known that. But now when we're on this side, and this is like the lens, like the telescope of Jesus Christ, we look through that telescope, and all of a sudden, through that lens, all of that stuff makes sense. We now understand it, because Augustine said that the Old Testament is the new concealed. In other words, everything we have in the New Testament was already there in the Old Testament, just kind of hidden. But the New Testament is the old revealed. Wow. So That's so important um, for people to know when they study the Bible. Many of us just stick with the New Testament and forget and ignore the Old, and that's a big mistake, isn't it? We, we need it to is. be studying the Old Testament. If, if, but I understand why Catholics don't like the Old Testament. Let's say you and I have a big birthday party, and we buy a whole bunch of pizza, okay? And and we, okay. we But there's some left over. And so we'll say, hey, Charbel, let's save this pizza for next year when you – you're, you're a year older than your next birthday. We'll get the rest of this pizza back out again. So the next birthday comes and we get the old pizza out, but we buy some new pizza too. Now you've got two tables. You tell everybody, okay, here's the party for Charbel. You can either eat the pizza from last year or you can buy the new pizza. You can eat. Well, you're where are you going to go eat? 
They're going to go eat the new pizza, right? Who wants the old pizza? But that's how Catholics think of the Bible. Why would we want the old pulse? The old Testament's this thick, you know, and the new Testament's a lot easier. It's like this thing. But why would you want the old if you have the new? But it, you got to understand it, that the old is the foundation. I call it the two Fs, the F of foundation. You can't build a house if you don't have a foundation. Mm -hmm. The Old Testament lays the foundation. It defines everything. It defines the weight, the shape, everything it defines of then the New Testament is the F fulfillment. Yes. So you have first the foundation, then you have the fulfillment, which is on top of the foundation. It's one house. The Old and New Testament are one revelation, and you can't understand one without the other. You need them both. And when you look through the lens of Christ from the New Testament, all the Old Testament things make sense. But we wouldn't have known that without Christ. That's the beauty of the Old Testament. Now, I think we got time to talk about Moses's death. Yeah, let, let's please go through that and then uh, and, and finish on the transfiguration as well. Okay, I, I'll do this quickly. I, this is way too much fun. I, I appreciate you <laughs> letting me do this. This is way too much fun. So now Moses, 120 years old, he comes all the way around the wilderness up through Jordan of today. And last February, I took a group through all this area. We went all the way through Jordan and there's a road called the King's Highway that still goes all the way up that the, even in the Old Testament, it said they went up the King's Highway. It's still there today. And Moses looked out from Mount Nebo on the other side of the Jordan River, looked across the Jordan Valley, and he saw the land. Nobody had seen that land for 440 years. Can you imagine now you're looking out and this is the land God promised to our forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob 440 years ago, and none of, the, none of them saw it, but we are the generation that gets to see it. And they looked out and saw it, and God says, Moses, you're not going to go across. You're going to die here. So it says Moses went up on Mount Sinai. He saw all of the land, and then he died on Mount Nebo, which there's a church there today. And when and I just uh, in February, I took the group. We had mass in that church at Mount Nebo where Moses had his view and where he died. And it said that the book of Deuteronomy says that at 120 years old, his eye was not dimmed, nor was his strength abated. He was still as strong and had as good eyesight. He didn't have to wear these goofy things. He still had good eyesight and he was still strong. I'm 65. I'm almost 66. And I already feel my strength starting to ebb out of me a little bit. I'm not 18 anymore and I can feel it. You're but doing Moses, very well for 65, Steve. <laughs> and Moses is 120. Now, Joshua then leads the children across into the promised land. That's where we're going to end this story because next time we're going to start the next part about David and Solomon and the kings and all of that that took place. Yes. And but now we come to Mount Tabor. God said Moses is not going to get into the land. You're not going to be allowed to enter the promised land. But who was on the Mount of Transfiguration? Moses. He yeah. finally made it. He finally oh. made it to the promised land at the Mount of Transfiguration, which is our feast day tomorrow. Yes, I've already got a bunch of radio shows, uh, programs that I'm doing tomorrow on Transfiguration. It's already lined up, so that'll be tomorrow. Now, th this is interesting because you cannot understand the Transfiguration without understanding Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai, they came to meet God. There was a cloud came down on the mountain. There was wind. They saw 
uh, Moses came down with his face glowing so bright that no one could look at his face. They had to put a veil over Moses's face or else you shoot Moses. I can't cover your face. I can't even look at you. He had, they says that he had a veil covered over his face so people could talk to him because he was so bright. And it said, God spoke and said to the people you can hear his voice in the thunder. But later in a prophecy, he said to Moses in Deuteronomy 18 verses 15 through 18, that there will come a time where I will send a prophet from among your own people. When he comes, listen to him. Deuteronomy 18, when the prophet comes, not there's going to be a lot of prophets, but this guy, he's going to be different. When that prophet comes, listen to him. Jesus is, uh, and then, so this is so exciting. I'm trying to do yeah. in five minutes what takes me an hour usually. Well, anyway, at the Mount of Transfiguration, what happens? Jesus is the new Moses. Why do we have Moses and Elijah there? Because Moses represents the law. Elijah represents the prophets. He's the father of the prophets. Okay. Jesus did not refer to the Old Testament as the Old Testament because there wasn't a New Testament yet. There was no Old Testament. He referred to it, it says, in the law and the prophets. That's how they referred to it. When you read in the law and the prophets, look it up in the, in the Gospels over and over again. It's the law and the prophets. Well, who represents the law? Moses, who represents the prophets? Elijah. That's one of two months from now, we'll do Elijah because I did a movie yes. on him. So Moses and Elijah represent the law and the prophets, the old covenant. And they're there to meet the new Moses, the new Elijah, who is now going to lead the new Exodus. In the Gospel of Luke, at the Transfiguration, Luke says that Jesus was talking to Moses and Elijah about his departure soon to take place in Jerusalem. He's going to depart Jerusalem and go to heaven. That word in the Greek is Exodus. Jesus is discussing with Moses, who led the first Exodus. Yeah. He's explaining to Moses and Elijah about his new Exodus. Moses, you led him out of the land of Pharaoh and slavery and um, in Egypt. And there was the death of the lamb. And then you led them out and you gave them water, the Red Sea, and you gave them manna. And then Joshua led them into the promised land. Well, I am the new Moses, and I'm the new Joshua, and I am the Passover lamb, and I'm going to lead you through water baptism, and I'm going to take you through the wilderness of life, the new exodus. Even that word is in the transfiguration story, and I'm going to give you manna, the Eucharist, and I'm going to give you water in the wilderness, and then I'm going to bring you around, and my name is even Joshua, and I'm going to bring you around into the promised land. So in a way, Moses and Elijah are there handing on the baton. It's like the relay race in the Olympics. Guys, these guys come running all the way. They're all tired. And they said, okay, then we're going to hand it on to you. And then the new Moses and the new Elijah takes it all the way to the finish line, all the way to heaven. So this is how the Old Testament, that's why Moses and, and uh, Elijah had to be there. Jesus is the new Moses. And you see now the words, what did the words say? Jesus, God says the voice of God, the father announces Jesus as the prophet. And he says, this is him. Remember in Deuteronomy 18, I told you there was going to be a prophet. This is him. Listen to him. Wow. The words listen to him come right out of Deuteronomy chapter 18. So you see the Mount of Transfiguration, which we celebrate tomorrow, is all about Mount Sinai. Without Mount Sinai, you could never understand the Mount of Transfiguration. Amazing. Uh, we are just scratching the surface. Thank you so much. Just I mean, watch the, watch the movie. But that at least we covered the book of Exodus. We got through Moses and Joshua. Next time we'll start with the uh, the whole Joshua and Judges and the Kings and Ruth and, the, and get up to uh, 
and two more times, then we'll be up to the New Testament. Brilliant, brilliant. I want to thank you so much, Steve, for coming on, uh, squeezing all, so much information <laughs> in less than an hour. That's just phenomenal. I highly recommend the DVD, Mo Moses. This is it, um, Science, Sacraments, and Salvation. Uh, and you there's a real complete study guide in there, a real That's complete right. study guide. It goes through all the things we talked about from the Bible and the Catechism. It's all inside that with its study guide. So it comes in inside these. There are there are nine of these right now available. Go to the Perusia Media website. Uh, there's links in the comments below. Uh, purchase your copy. If you go to the uh, checkout, put in the coupon, just the initials. So, for example, um, Perusia Podcast is PP and then Footprints of God, which is F-O-G, and then you put S-R for Steve Ray. So PP, F-O-G-S-R. And if you do that, you're going to get 20% off the whole series. So that's um, that's, that's that's a great uh, um, sale there. So please do that. We'll put the comments as well in there. One last thing. We had to postpone our Harvest Australian pilgrimage yes. to the Holy Land because of this virus thing. But um, we are rescheduling now for April 2022. So put on your calendars and I'll lead, I'll lead everybody and I'm going to show them all of these things and do all these talks everywhere we go. And um, it's very exciting to do it on location, better than doing it on Zoom. Yeah. But um, April 2022, and I'll take all the Aussies with me and I, some from New Zealand I hear too, and we'll go see the Holy Land. Thank you very much. Well, that's this is Steve Ray. Uh, no one does the pilgrimage as good as him. Uh, please uh, inquire about us. Let, let us know at Perusia Media. Give us your names, emails. We'll put you on the list. We'll give you more details about that. Um, thank, because of the COVID-19, we, we, it's just been so, um, the border's been closed, but we've been um, pushing it back. So hopefully we'll get more people to come and hopefully you're ready to do a, a real Bible study, a life Bible study. And speaking of pilgrimage, we are doing a virtual one uh, through the life of Christ with the rosary, the rosary virtual pilgrimage. We're calling it the spiritual rosary pilgrimage, starting on Our Lady's birthday, September 8, going right through the Feast of the Rosary, October 7. Steve Ray will feature. He's actually done a meditation on the visitation, and we're going to look at the Ark of the Covenant. It's quite beautiful, so I can't wait for that. Um, so sign up. It's completely free. Anyone around the world is welcome. Go to perusiamedia.com. You'll see a big banner of, of Mary. Uh, click on that and then put your email in and then you'll get uh, free access for a month leading up to the Feast of the Rosary, going for the life of Christ. So you're, it's un unlike anything else you've ever done. So uh, join us uh, and join thousands around the world. So I'm Shabarash, your host. Um, and until next time, God bless.